Welcome to the NSTA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 19. I was very interested in fitness, in sports training. So I went to school for exercise science, physical education. Uh, upon graduation, I, I explained to the group that my academic advisor at the time printed out the NSCA, um, I guess, uh, job board and the NSCA uh, website, uh, handed that to me. I was walking back to my dorm room, reading the material that he just printed out from the NSCA. And, uh, you know, I was completely hooked. I said, you know, th you know this is something that I want to do. Eventually, I want to wor work with the best athletes in the world. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. We are coming off of the 2024 NSCA Coaches Conference last month. And one of our speakers, Joey Greeny, is with us here today. He's a major league strength and conditioning coach with the Tampa Bay Rays. Joey, welcome to the show. Eric, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed catching up. As always, we've been catching up a lot lately. We were at the winter meetings, and then we were a few weeks later in Orlando at Coaches Conference. You uh, gave a couple sessions there, one on plyometrics and one on career development. But before we get into that, how was the conference for you? Yeah, overall, the conference was uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, I I met different coaches from all over the world, uh, various different sports. Uh, so I was able to connect with them, to grow with them, uh, and, and learn a ton of information. We had great speakers uh, at this year's conference. Um, and the NSAA, like always, always puts on an exceptional event. And, uh, and this was one of them, and I was glad to be a part of it. Yeah, this is for baseball strength and conditioning coaches. This is usually the one you get to go to just with spring training right around the corner, but uh, not not being able to go typically to national conference during July because that's the middle of the season. Uh, I do want to ask you about some of the MLB schedule and the role of strength and conditioning coaches. But before we do, let's Let's jump into your sessions. Uh, you gave a couple sessions at the conference. I mentioned plyometrics. Uh, what were some of the progressions you took coaches through and uh, what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was the uh, session was uh, practical plyometric programming for team sport athletes. Uh, and it's uh, various drills, strategies, methods uh, that I learned through the minor league levels when I was a, a young minor league coach. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we put this into a system in this process um, to help develop our athletes. Um, what we like to do is split the programming up into three different levels. Level one, strictly focusing on body position, landing mechanics, kind of like your intro to plyometrics. Then level two, uh, that's more your continuous jumps, um, single and double leg takeoff and landings. And then level three, that's when we're in, we introduce complexes in the weight room. Uh, we either use um, weights such as dumbbells or resistance bands um, to um, to progress our plyometrics. So uh, that's kind of what we covered. We covered three planes of motion during this presentation: uh, horizontal, vertical, and lateral. Um, and then we progressed each of these drills, starting from basic snap downs to vertical jump, snap downs to double contact jumps. Um, and then we went into our horizontal segments where we had the participants line up in, in rows 
of about 10. Uh, we worked on our broad jump, our single leg broad jump, and then we finished that section with resisted broad jumps. Um, and then we went into our lateral uh, component or lateral aspect of the presentation. Um, and that was strictly focusing on lateral bounce. So going from one leg to another leg, uh, really work on loading your one leg and then exploding um, over into your other leg. Um, and then we progress that into a double contact. So it's a lateral bound with a lateral hop. So it's a two hop into a lateral bound. Um, and then we uh, progress that to a level three plyometric, which we added a band uh, to the lateral bounds. And that's kind of how we um, went over that presentation, how we uh, designed that that course. And, uh, you know, overall, we had great participation, great questions at the end. Um, and I think we all we all learned, uh, you know, from that. We took a lot of things away. I like how you went through the progression there and coaches can connect with that. We all identify with uh, the importance of progression level one through three, as you mentioned, and planes of movement. Uh, you're coming out of a sport with a huge frontal plane or lateral movement component in baseball. So making it translate over to sport. But I want to ask you about the use of single leg plyometrics. This is something that we do see in the speed world quite a bit, but maybe uh, maybe is an area that's rep underrepresented in some areas of strength and conditioning. Typically, uh, everybody tests the vertical jump or the standing broad jump. And that's something that uh, we base a lot of information on of how powerful our athletes are. How important is it to progress athletes from double leg into single leg jumps? Where do you see the biggest takeaways for them in their athleticism? Yeah, great question, Eric. Um, definitely early on, you want to have your athletes starting with double leg takeoff, double leg landings, like I talked about in that level one. Um, and, and some of your elite uh, professional athletes, maybe they only need a week or two of that introduction to plyometrics before they start jumping off that single leg landing on that single leg and that would fall into that level two category that I was talking about. Um, so, uh, I mean, it comes down to knowing your athletes, testing your athletes, uh, you know, using force plates uh, or, or other various uh, jump training tests that you can do and to find, find where your athletes are weak, uh, where their strengths are and really, and really focus on programming, uh, you know, from those numbers, uh, from that information. But, you know, a lot of the, I would say from the college level up into the elite professional levels, um, single leg power. I don't believe we spend enough time on that. Um, and I think athletes can benefit more from the single leg broad jumps, single leg vert jumps, learning how to land on one leg. Um, and it, you know, it's easy to program into that too, but I would definitely, uh, you know, have at least a week or two of the, level one plow metrics where you're focusing on body position, landing mechanics and so forth. Yeah. It's important to start with the basics, but I, I hear you. And I think it's important. The takeaway here is as strength and conditioning coaches, these have been around for a long time and now it's time we can develop more robust jumping and landing programs that translate to uh, sprinting, agility, different areas that athletes are required to move in their sport and single leg plyos are a great way to do that. Your second session at Coaches Conference, you got to take a group of 
aspiring coaches or young professionals through progression into uh, into coaching. And they wanted to learn from you how to get into pro sports. Uh, you could share a lot from your background. What advice do you have for coaches who want to get into pro sports? Yeah, great question. Um, so I, I shared uh, my my story, uh, kind of how I got involved in professional sports. And it all started from, uh, you know, growing up, uh, being physically active. Uh, had a, uh, I was very uh, intrigued, uh, very, um, in, in, you know, I was very interested in fitness, in sports training. So I went to school for exercise science, physical education. Uh, upon graduation, I, I explained to the group that my academic advisor at the time printed out the NSCA, um, I guess, uh, job board and the NSCA uh, website, uh, handed that to me. I was walking back to my dorm room, reading the material that he just printed out from the NSCA and, uh, you know, I was completely hooked. I said, you know, you know, this is something that I want to do. Eventually, I want to work with the best athletes in the world. Um, and then I went ahead and, and um, ordered the uh, NSEA Essentials textbook that night. And um, uh, possibly this was before Amazon. Uh, but, yeah, but I got that book as soon as it came. I started reading it, studying for the CSC exam. I took that, uh, you know, graduated college, started personal training. Um, and then I worked at Velocity Sports Performance for about a, uh, a year. And then in 2008, Kansas City, um, you know, I was looking on the NSCA job board and I, I saw a lot of positions being posted from uh, the NHL, NFL, MLB. I applied to a number of different teams, but I heard back from the Kansas City Royals in 2008. Um, and shortly after a few interviews, I was on my way to Surprise, Arizona. Um, and the rest is history. I'm going on to my 17th season in professional baseball. Uh, currently with the Tampa Bay Rays in my eighth year in the major leagues. But, uh, you know, I explained to them, you know, continue to check the NSCA job board. There's a lot of different postings. Come to the NSCA conferences, network with other coaches uh, from all around the world, all around the industry, uh, you know, and, um, and provide good value uh, where you are, uh, whatever organization you're in or whatever uh, coaching uh, title you may have, just continue to be a good person, uh, you know, and provide and provide value for where you are, and uh, and just let the chips fall where they may. That's great advice. Uh, we hear a lot about working with pro athletes. What are some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to working with the best athletes in the world mm -hmm. from a strength and conditioning standpoint? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, the you know, the, the professional athletes, uh, the elite, the best of the best, you know, they're at the top of their game, they're the top one percent of their sport, uh, but they do have weaknesses. And, and uh, you know, they have a lot of strengths, but they do have weaknesses. And it's our job to is is to find those weaknesses and figure out ways to improve them um to make them that much better, whether it's a mobility issue, a strength issue. Uh, explosive power issue. Um, our job is to kind of tap into that, uh, find the means necessary in terms of methods, strategies, drills, exercises, um, and then have them perform them. And, um, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, the athlete enjoys doing those um, and they can, can continue uh, 
you know, they continue to perform that throughout the season and they feel their, uh, physically, they feel their best. Um, and that's what we want to help the team win, to have our athletes feeling their best uh, throughout the year. You mentioned the NSCA job board, but another resource for coaches looking at professional baseball specifically is the Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning Coaches Society, the PBSCCS. We were both at those meetings at the MLB winter meetings in early December. Uh, share for coaches who maybe haven't worked in a professional sport. What are these groups? Uh, how do they support strength and conditioning professionals? And just what's been your experience going to the winter meetings and learning from other coaches? Yeah, so the PBSCCS, Professional Baseball Strength and Conditioning uh, Society, is an organization that represents all the strength coaches in professional baseball. Um, so when it first started out, you know, there was only a few coaches involved over the course of some years. Um, I think we've grown to probably 300 plus coaches that are involved. That's both minor league coaches and major league strength and conditioning coaches, uh, you know, as, as well as other, uh, directors and coordinators are also involved, but it's a, it's a great society. It's grown over so many years. I've met so, uh, so many incredible coaches from all over baseball, uh, and it's really helped push uh, the baseball strength and conditioning profession um, in terms of knowledge and growth um, and compensation among coaches in uh, in all of baseball. So, um, but there's you know it's a remarkable group, um, and we continue to meet each and every each and every year at the winter meetings, and we push our we push each other you know, to become, become the best coaches in the world at what we do. Um, and and be, it's been fun to be a part of that. I can think of early years in professional baseball. Not everybody was going to those meetings. You know, organizations pay the way for coaches to be involved at the MLB winter meetings. And so at first it was 30 major league coaches, and then it was – 30 major league coaches and 30 minor league coordinators. And that expanded a lot over the years. And so it is significant to grow and have an event with, like you said, uh, nearly 300 people. And one thing I really like about that group in particular is that they've always had a growth mentality of we're going to be welcoming to anybody who needs a home within the game. That's registered dietitians, physical therapists, other professionals who want to check out our exhibit hall, uh, learn from learn from the education content that we're putting together. So the PBS CCS, I, Joey, I like to think of it as an advocacy arm uh, of our strength and conditioning community. And I know in my role at the NSCA, that's really valuable because we do that from the NSCA but we do it on a really broad sense. So when you get a group like the PBS, CCS, or the other groups in different sports, they're allowed to really focus on the needs of professional baseball, thinking about facilities that maybe weren't always so great. That's probably one of those mis misconceptions as well, as you think facilities are going to be off the charts at the major league level, but, but not always so. And so, uh, these groups advocate for those things. They advocate for what types of professionals are eligible to get jobs within the game, what credentials are necessary. That's where we come in from the NSCA. So it really is um, 
a great group that we dig from a lot at the NSCA. Uh, and, and and I appreciate you sharing that. So you've worked your way up. You were in the minor leagues. You worked your way up to the big leagues. Uh, there's some similarities there in terms of schedule, but also some differences for coaches that are listening and thinking, hey, maybe I want to try to get one of those baseball internships or baseball strength and conditioning jobs at an affiliate. What does the calendar calendar year look like within pro ball? Uh, what can young coaches expect when they get to their first off season? And uh, what are the, some of the duties and responsibilities outside of just the normal uh, sets and reps that, that we would expect? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. So young coaches uh, starting out, you know, either in an internship program or a first year coach, um, you know, you're looking at spring training starting in February and then being with, uh, you know, the clubs in spring training. You may be asked to stay for extended spring training uh, with some of the lower level um, affiliate teams. Um, and then when your affiliate goes ahead and breaks off for the season, you'll travel to whatever affiliate that may be in whatever league that may be, uh, you know, in the United States. Um, and then you'll be with that. You'll be with that uh, affiliate for the season, uh, carrying out the strength and conditioning program set forth by the organization, uh, your coordinator, your other coaches uh, that you've put into place, and you will carry that out. Um, communicating with the other members of your staff is very important. Communicating with the players on the team, developing relationships and trust with these players on your team is very important to get them to do the things necessary to improve performance. Um, so you would continue that throughout the season. Um, and then after the season, you may be uh, asked to go back to instructional league. And that's when the organizations bring in their top prospects uh, for some intense instructions at the end of the season, uh, usually right around the end of September, October range. Um, so you would work instructional league from that. Uh, and then from that point, you would go into your off season months. Um, and then typically wherever Wherever you reside in the offseason, you would reach out to your players, uh, make phone calls. Perhaps you may go visit some of your players in the offseason to check in um, and document uh, those encounters about their workouts, about um, you know kind of their training that they're doing. Um, and then from that point, um, you know, you just continue to help the organization in the offseason, help your uh, coordinators, your other coaches. And then, um, you know, you, you better yourself. Go to the NSCA conferences in the offseason if you can. Um, take some of the courses, continue in ed, always always engaging in growth and in opportunities that way. Um, and then, and then uh, you know, the offseason goes by pretty quickly. And before you know it, you're right back out in spring training and ready to go. So it's a year-round commitment. You're doing something year-round uh, that's really come with – at one time, it was all internships, and so the organizations couldn't retain their staff through the offseason, but now they can. And reaching out to players, connecting with players in the offseason, but one thing I want to point out is most of the time that you have access to players, they're in their competitive season or approaching it. So spring training through uh, the end of what's a long season. How do you approach in-season training in a lot of sports the in-season you know i'm thinking football 
you have a lot more off season than you have in season, but in baseball, not so much. How do you approach in season training so that maybe players in the minor leagues that have a long way to go developmentally uh, can progress and still be at their best on the field? Yeah. Great question. Baseball's, Unlike any other sport, we have the longest season. We play so many games, uh, you know, before the games too, you know, we can't forget that these guys, they're out on the field practice and taking bat in practice, ground balls. Uh, so it's important um, that you manage strength and power levels while also keeping in mind of fatigue uh, and recovery throughout the whole offseason. Uh, and there's a number of different strategies, techniques, and methods uh, to go and to, to utilize that. Uh you know, as far as sets and repetitions, I like giving a set and repetition range for my athletes. For example, three to five sets of three to four sets, three to five reps of three to four sets. Uh, so that way when athletes come in, they may be a little fatigued. So maybe they're doing, say, three sets of, of three on that day, but great intensity. Another athlete that comes in uh, could be feeling really good, really fresh, uh, ready to go. So maybe they're doing five sets of five on that day. Uh, so you can kind of adjust, you know, the program um, based on what is going on on the field, between the games, um, between the practices, between the travel schedule. Um, that's something that we don't talk a lot about, but uh, also needs to be mentioned is that, you know, in the minor leagues, these players are on the bus. They're traveling uh, quite a bit of hours at a time. Um, so, as far as sitting in one position for nine hours, um, rolling into a, a town or a city, you know, either late at night or early in the morning, and it'd be expected to, to pop up and be, be at the field the next day and ready to go. There's some things that you have to keep in mind, and maybe there's some things that you can add into stretch or add into your workouts to help combat uh, the, the, the travel, maybe some extra mobility or stretching into their routines. Um, so, um, that's something also we got to keep in mind, um, and the, and the, and the food too, traveling on the road, uh, you know, they're not home, they're not used to their, uh, you know, their food that they're getting at their actual stadium or ballpark. Um, so I like to use set and rep ranges for our, for our teams, uh, especially in the minor leagues. So some athletes are feeling fresh. You can push them a little bit. Athletes that may, maybe are a little fatigued, you can cut the repetitions and sets, um, in half, but still, get some forward progress with their work. Yeah. Flexible programming. We've heard more about that in recent years, especially within season training. And uh, it's something that when you're, when you're in school and you're learning about strength and conditioning and how you're going to train athletes, I think a lot of us think of the off season when you're going to have, we're going to have the hypertrophy phase, and then we're going to go into strength and then we're going to go into power what happens when that in-season phase gets stretched out so long and at the professional level, players go home in in the off-season months? You don't have as much time to work with them. Or maybe they work with uh, a coach in their area, someone, maybe their college coach or high school strength and conditioning coach, whatever resources they have. So it becomes a really complex scenario of how do you serve this athlete? best and uh no i think that's really interesting and i like i like how you broke it down even to rep ranges of sounds like you just keep it simple focus on what needs to 
what needs to be the number one, whether that's them. You get in early in the morning and you've been on a bus for 12 hours. Well, they probably need some good sleep and they wake up. They probably need something to eat. And from there, you look at when the game time is, batting practice, these different things. And then you interject different training, recovery, other other modalities and and training areas that we can we can have an impact so uh the the hours of the day really fill up quickly when you start doing that in a in a professional sports environment but it is good for everyone to hear this and i I know there's some college coaches out there listening and just thinking about how many hours their athletes are putting in as well but this mentality uh of a professional season and i think in baseball we call it the baseball day uh, it, that mentality of how you approach the baseball day or the training day or the, or game day uh, is is really uh, important for coaches to to conceptualize really beyond what's in the essentials textbook. So, Joey, man, I appreciate you breaking it down with us uh, today. We went through your conference sessions, uh, a little bit about pro ball. And just your experience, I thought your session was really great at coaches and you had great participation. Uh, one thing I'm pushing for is to get even more hands-on sessions like that at upcoming NSCA events, because I, that's really, that's what we do. It's coaches coaching other coaches. And we can, even if that's a progression that you mentioned that you're that another coach is familiar with maybe you the way you say it or deliver it a coaching cue resonates and that's just something that you may not be familiar with and so there's really value in going back to the drawing board and even listening to some progressions that we have a good understanding of as as strength and conditioning coaches so joey thanks for being with us eric thank you for having me and thank you for the nsca for having me on one last thing for anyone who wants to reach out, uh, what's your contact info, social media, whatever you got? Yeah, uh, questions, reach out to me. You can reach out to me on Instagram, uh, just at my name, Joey Graney, J-O-E-Y-G-R-E-A-N-Y, uh, to shoot me a message, and I'll be uh, glad to talk shop and talk training with you. Sounds good. We'll throw that in the show notes. Joey, thanks again. And everyone, thanks for tuning in to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hey, everyone. This is Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. You just listened to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, one of the best sources of information about the strength and conditioning profession. If you're new to this podcast and you want to learn more, subscribe now to always get the latest episodes delivered right to you. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.